Ladies, gentlemen, degenerates, cretins, children of all ages, welcome to Real Tales from the Bar Side. We're getting into some fun, wild, wacky, chaotic stories about bar life and the people who work in it. So sit back, relax, and enjoy these tales from the professionals in the bar and restaurant world. Have fun. Tales from the bar side. We're back with another episode. Matt Flynn here with, very excited, been trying to get this in for a while, Miss Danielle Goulden. Hi, Matt. Hey. <laughs> I got your name right. Yeah, you did. I've known you for a long time, and I've always wondered how to pronounce your last name. You just cleared that up for I'm me. I'm so glad that you asked five minutes before this Spell podcast Spell it so people can understand my complications. G-U-L... D-I-N. There are no complications. I was just a little But in concerned. your defense, that it can be pronounced multiple ways. People people say Goulden. They they add, you know, different vowel sounds. They say Gildan. They say Gul'dan. It's just Goulden. Yeah. It's Do just, you serve Narragansett you know. at your bar? Narragansett. Yeah, or yeah. when you did, when you bartended. <laughs> yeah, people were like, I'll I take did. a Narragansett. Uh, you know, fat tire I becomes th- flat tire. Oh, wow. Everybody just gets, they panic. Copper legend. He's looking at it. He's like, I'll do the Cooper legend. These are educated folks. So yeah. I just, I didn't want to be one of them. I wanted to I'm get your so name glad. right. I'm so glad. Cool. So glad. Very cool. I would have never thought less of you, though. Thank you. You're welcome. It's a pleasure to have you here. This is awesome. Thanks for having me. So paint a little picture. Tell us where you come from. I come from a rural town in Pennsylvania called Schuylkillhaven. <laughs> okay. Why does everybody laugh? <laughs> Why do people laugh at Schuylkillhaven? Like, yeah. Come on. I mean. All right. Listen, I understand hometown defense <laughs> it mechanisms. It sounds a because little bit like a sneeze. I get it. It does. A German <laughs> sneeze. Gesundheit, Skukelhaven. Uh-huh. We're in the same ballpark. I just thought it, I, I thought, you know, at least when I was growing up, I thought, you know, Skukelhaven, Copenhagen, that's cool. It's. Well, Copenhagen no? also has kind of the badassery in American culture of like really fine cut snuff chewing tobacco uh-huh so copenhagen gets a little edge it, but it's i get being defensive when i tell people certain people i told oh yeah i'm from massachusetts oh boston like no it's uncle marshfield like marshfield that sounds fucking lame i'm like what what do you mean lame it's, it's a, a town. great town they're it's like a town no, in massachusetts like Roxbury. it doesn't sound very tough i get really defensive so i get it but Schuylkillhaven, I'm glad you're from there because Thanks. I never, never would have known it existed. Yeah, it well, brightened my day. I am very, I am very happy that the name of my town brightened your day. I, it kind of brightens mine too. Is it large? No. Okay, super no, small. No, it is super, super small. How many people? Um, Graduating class, what'd you have? Eighty-six. Wow. Shit. I know. And that's a public school. <laughs> oh yeah. Fun. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Not a lot of Schuylkills in the world. Um, no, but actually, funny story, there's a, a really good friend of mine named Jake Soyster. We are from the same town, Schuylkillhaven, and he lives in New York as well and is a, a fine, fine actor who works. And uh, yeah, so that's, I mean, that's crazy for both of us. They produce talent. They do they produce, produce talent. Ta- we're talented people. You are. Talented, good-looking folks. We'll get this out of the way now for our listeners who aren't on our social media site, and you need to correct that instantly if you're not. Check out our Instagram. But for those of you at home listening, I can confirm that Danielle is an extremely talented, extremely good-looking young lady. You're very sweet. Thank you. And that's a big part of the reason 
that I want to talk to you about bartending. There's just so much shit to cover when uh. it comes to appearance, especially, uh. and things that you have to deal with. Uh, but your story is just so much more interesting to me than bartending alone. Can we do some chronology? Please. Schuylkillhaven. Till when? When'd you leave? 2003. Where'd you go? I went to Paris Island, South Carolina to join the Marine Corps. Ah. Surprise! Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what inspired that? Um, you know, a lot of things, actually. I was a, I was a competitive dancer growing up, and I, I trained hard for, you know, being a high schooler, um, probably between 20 and 25 hours a week, which I think is a lot. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's a lot for a kid. And I was also very academic and, you know, involved in school. I was in president of student council and you know, I just had a lot going on. So I became burnt out on both the dance world and my academic studies simultaneously. So, you know, when you're, when you're close to graduating college people or close to graduating high school Perfect strangers have all kinds of questions for you, like where are you going to go to school and when are you going to major in and all these life sure. things. And I just couldn't imagine anything more painful and boring than doing either dance or more schoolwork. Harder, so, harder than I had been at that point. You know, I just, I just couldn't imagine. So it. the Marines was kind of a rebellion of sorts. I, I use that exact terminology. I call really? it my constructive rebellion. Oh, yeah. Fascinating. <laughs> I had such a different rebellion. My rebellion, I think, was in part to make sure I didn't go to the Marines, <laughs> and you actually dove in head first. I did. Yeah, and also there's more to it as well. I, I always have been very, very patriotic and service to my country was very, very important to me. I wanted to do something that could potentially help people. And um, I've always been, I've always done uh, community service, even even as a young, young child. That's just something that I grew up doing. So I thought this is a way to do it on a, a larger scale and, um, you know, explore a different part of myself that I would, you know, when, are, when am I ever going to get the opportunity to do this again is what I was really thinking. Yeah. I, I, I can do anything I want right now. So let's do something challenging. That's such a mature take for somebody your age. And I guess being really high up in your academic and discipline with dance. Uh, Thank you. Kind yeah. of lifestyle. I'm sure that aided that, but it's just. For sure. I was so on the other end of the spectrum, anti-authoritarian <laughs> based in my rebellion that it just seemed like any structure military wise specifically was just everything I was aiming towards avoiding right well, so that's, that's common it is yeah <laughs> i'm far more cliche than you which is why we're talking about this I mean, that's nothing to do with bartending it's just fucking fascinating so you go to the marines and was this national this wasn't national this was full-time right this was i actually did the reserves the reserves so my first year was full-time because i had to do all my training um paris island south carolina boot camp uh that last three months then we have a, a eight or nine day break and uh, then I went to combat training down in North Carolina, and that lasts about a month, MCT. And then I went to job school training in um, MOS is what they call it, MOS school in uh, Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. And I trained to become a nuclear biological chemical defense specialist, wow. and that is what I did in the Marine Corps. Holy shit. Yeah. Wow, this just keeps getting more interesting. There's so much I don't know. Oh, that's, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to well, say. Thank you for living an interesting <laughs> life. So few people do. So uh, what in God's name did you do with that? How long did you do it for? I did it for four years. Wow. I, I was discharged in 2007, honorably discharged, of course. And um, yeah, I, uh, 
as a we call it NBC specialist for short and actually I believe that the name has changed the actual textbook term in the Marine Corps for what I did is different now than it used to be um, but I I was helpful in running the gas chamber on my reserve base essentially I was a teacher and I taught I, I went right to like uh, execution that's not that's, that's not, not the okay. thing that's did, not let's the make thing. sure no one Has else nothing, goes there no death, clear no execution. that up. um so what the gas chamber is used for it's used for um marines to test and grow confidence in their equipment okay in the event in the very unlikely event and knock on wood it has never happened and hopefully never will happen that there would be a chemical biological or nuclear warfare attack they would have full confidence in their gear and know exactly how to use it okay so that's what I taught them how to do. Wow. With the aid of, you know, everybody else in my shop, of course. It wasn't just me. I was in a, a really, really great reserve unit at a naval, naval air base in Willow Grove, uh, Pennsylvania, which is outside of Philadelphia. And uh, the, the gentlemen in my shop were fantastic. And we all tag-teamed the classes and had a really good time. You just speak about it with such positivity now. It, it's really I had great a, to see really, that that a really, really great experience. Sorry to interrupt you. No, no, no. Me Shit, we, I think I, we said experience at the same time. We are on the same page. Yeah, and I, I do feel I was extremely lucky because I know that a lot of women don't have such fantastic experiences mm-hmm. in, in, the, in the military or you know, the service, services in general. And I was really, really blessed with a phenomenal group of gentlemen to work with who always treated me with respect and built me up and... That's something that not everyone can say. So I'm very, very proud to say that. That's awesome. That's really great. I think so often everybody culturally is so enamored by what went wrong or what happened. What's the horror story? Even in this podcast, we talk about bar horror stories. It's just nice (laughs) to not necessarily go there and to just say, you know, what went right? And it sounds like it it all went right for you. It did. It did. It went really, really right. That's great. So, okay, you're out, honorably discharged. Um, ever a thought in your mind that you might want to go career or is this just kind of like, cool, I've done this, what's next? At first, at the very, very top of my boot camp and training experience, I did think perhaps there was a chance that I could go to officer candidate school. But I, I did realize that it was a chapter mm-hmm. and, um, and it was just going to be a chapter. Cool. And so what was the next chapter? Where'd you go from there? So I, I, like I said, I did my full year of active duty training and then I went to college at the same time that I was in my reserve unit. So I did my reserves one week in a month and I was a a full-time student besides that at Philadelphia University. And um, so what happened was, and this is where it gets a little interesting. (laughs) This is where it gets interesting. Right, yeah. Everything up to this point has been dull. dull. Very dull. Courts yawning. (laughs) So um, I realized, you know, to be honest, I got depressed. I got really, really sad during my freshman year of college because I was doing very, very well academically and I had this great Marine Corps career that I really, really wanted and I was doing very well at it, but I had no art in my life. Mm-hmm. And I, I realized that I missed dancing. I couldn't believe how much I missed it, but that had always been my form of self-expression, my artistic expression. So to suddenly not have that, I thought I'd be fine without it. I was so done with it. I was so over it by the time high school ended. I couldn't imagine ever needing something like that again. But I, as, as we grow and learn, we, we start to understand what 
what makes us fully functioning at our at our best and that is one of those elements for me so i i was uh i sort of helped facilitate uh, a dance team on my campus and through a series of of different sports teams on dancing for minor league sports teams i eventually landed on the philadelphia eagles cheerleader squad crazy town crazy that's wild crazy i mean when you, if you're bullet pointing somebody headlines right you've got a fucking story thanks. pretty cool thanks i just <laughs> and and i know the headlines only i haven't read page six on you which is why this is so cool to oh, kind yeah. of dive a little deep into what it's all about but to just be like oh yeah academic superstar marine Philadelphia cheerleader, actress, successful at all. It's fucking awesome. Thank you. Thank you so and much. Bartending is in no way on your headline. It's just that we're using you for your experience. Yeah. <laughs> so we can kind of dive deep well, on that Well, it's in too. there. Yeah. It's, it's part of the repertoire. So was that, you know what's so funny? You get all this television screen time for cheerleaders in the NBA and the NFL. They're a big part of the timeouts, the halftime show, everything. They're, they're gorgeous. They're talented. I hear the pays shit. It really is. That's garbage. Honestly, I was never more poor in my life. Those fucking owners, man. They than just when I was look worse and worse. Uh, you know, I I I hate to. Am I allowed to curse? Mm-hmm. I hate to talk shit, but it's true. I I spent maybe thirty hours a week between rehearsals and going back and forth to events that we were, you know, we were obligated to do. We were paid for them, mm-hmm. but the pay was so small and it took so much time. And then we didn't get the paycheck until sometimes two or even three months later. Because you aren't unionized, right? No. Yeah. No, no, no. There's no yes. jurisdiction, no union jurisdiction for, for an NFL cheerleader. Oh. Um, so there was a point where, you know, I was a full-time student. I didn't have time for another job besides the, you know, the hours that I was dedicating to the NFL. And I, I truly enjoyed my time, but I was broke. I could barely afford gas to get back and forth to classes. And that sucked. Yeah. That really put a damper on the experience, especially because the whole allure is, you know, glamorous and upscale. So there I was sort of playing this part. And, you know, there's, I could only afford a Dunkin' Donuts English muffin for dinner. So there's the, the rapper in my back seat. And then I, you know, pop out of the car with my autographs to sign. It's just, oh it, it just felt like such a weird dichotomy. It is. It totally <laughs> is. And it's really fascinating. My bumper's like falling off my car. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's so strange. Funny. I don't understand. Did a lot of the girls you worked alongside, were they involved with wealthy guys? Was that kind of a thing that it's like, all right, you definitely strike me as somebody and always have that has a lot of character where you're you. not necessarily, you're welcome. You're not necessarily just searching for kind of like somebody to take care oh, of. Oh, I'm not you. a gold digger? <laughs> not even that, but just you seem, you strike me as someone very independent. Thank you. I appreciate that. No, completely. It's It's great. And, uh, I can say with 100% honesty, yeah. every single woman on my team had that character as well. Also, really? Yep. Awesome to hear. Yep. Cool. I wasn't even the only uh, military veteran on my team. There wow. was another girl, Rachel, who's a dear, dear friend of mine who was in ROTC for the Army at the time, and she eventually became an officer and had a brilliant career. This is a hot take on NFL cheerleaders. I don't think you're getting on other podcasts I right I completely... I stand by the opinion that I think that our, our professional pursuits and our intellect as a group was underutilized. Yeah, clearly. 
clearly. And uh, that I, might not be the case now, but this was 10 years ago. Yeah. The climate has changed. Probably has it, has it for cheerleaders. Though? I'm I don't keep up on the current zeitgeist of the NFL cheerleader world, mm-hmm. but I I would assume that with all of the women women's empowerment speak over the last couple of years that the tides are changing and for sure they're I I believe that they are getting paid a little bit more because I think the Buffalo Jills uh, actually there was a court there was a lawsuit and I don't think. I think it ruled in favor of the cheerleaders. Wow. We could do three fucking hours on this shit alone, especially <laughs> with the state of the NFL right now, and I'd love to, but I guess we should probably get into some bar speak. I guess we should. We probably should. I guess we Let's should. jump in. What the hell? <laughs> first bar gig. Where were you? What happened? When? Where was I for my first bar gig? Oh, this is funny. My first bartending job was right after I graduated college, right after the Eagles ended. I was... Staying in Philadelphia for a year because at that point in my life, I actually really wanted to pursue music. So I was just kind of like hanging around, meeting people. Singing or do you play? Um, I play a little bit of guitar, mostly write and sing. Okay. Um, but I mean, it, it really, I, I didn't, acting obviously won. I had a lot of passions, and, but I was staying in Philadelphia area originally because I wanted to pursue a little bit of music. Just so I'm clear, are you also an astronaut? I I have trained at NASA. Okay. And no, it's not true. <laughs> I did not. I never. There is at NASA. nothing this woman hasn't or cannot do, ladies and gentlemen. All right. So music is your passion, <laughs> yeah, but acting. acting oh God, no, no. Yeah, but so okay. Uh, Skook and Skook and Haven. Uh, I was in Philadelphia at the time. No, no, so, no. I, I, I'm trying to get back to cooking. Oh, we can't let that oh, one slide. Oh, oh, it's, okay, is that right. real, like, everything in the crock pot? Kind of like... Um, I don't have a crock pot. No? No. So there's just no cooking. A lot of eating out. I, um, I actually, I recently became vegan, oh. which is going really, really well. So I've been doing a lot of, you know, quinoa with steamed vegetables. And that's okay. going great. Yeah, so That I can do. So that's all you need. I can do that. Vegans just need little, their quinoa. Olive oil, garlic, a little Few salt. veggies. Fine. All right, you're just, back in you know, Philly. A purist. On, let's not get off topic too Sorry. It's too easy. So I was in Philadelphia. I stayed there originally because I wanted, wanted to pursue a little bit of music. That didn't end up working out as we will get to. But uh, my first bartending job was at a place called The Hangover Bar and Grill wow. in Upper Darby, which is kind of like an offshoot of Philadelphia. And it was dingy dingy (laughs) okay it was really dingy because i'm thinking i'm just thinking awful but dingy paints a different picture what do you i mean like poorly lit look here's the thing if mo my prior my former employer is listening mo is the owner of hangover which which still exists by the way it has grown like really really grown it's hangover caribbean sports bar now i think is the is the title but he went for it yeah, but this was his first uh, bar adventure as an owner. And, um, you know, he bought this place. It was like a, a very neighborhoody, blue collar um, place when he bought it. And that's what it was when I worked there. And uh, I don't really know how to describe the clientele. It was kind of a mixed bag. But, I, I mean, I don't want to insult anyone. There were some really creepy characters 
So give us a, a demographic. What are we talking about age-wise? Because you say the hangover, I'm thinking a bunch of shitty college kids. No. So this is nope. This is kind of just everybody's got their really sad story and they sit alone in corners drinking. Exactly. Okay. No, right. that's it. That's yeah. exactly right. I I played therapist, which is good because my degree is in psychology, but I played therapist to mostly men between ages 45 and 55. Okay. Um Speaking of men age 35, you can't see him because he's behind you. But every time you list another accolade, Court turns bright red and starts throwing his arms up like, what hasn't this woman done? What? So you have a, 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 you're a bartender. You were a bartender with a psychology degree? Yeah. That's fucking awesome. Oh, it kind of goes hand in hand with the job. Well, it does. But who's educated for it? Who's actually like, okay, not that you're licensed to practice, but you certainly have a step up. So you've got these guys. I think it gave me some patience. And I found it very interesting because I knew what I knew from studying psychology for four years. And then I was sort of able to practically apply it when I was listening to these people talk and, you know, trying to give them advice or what have you. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what all of us do when Mm -hmm. we're behind the bar, I guess. But what, uh, I mean, did anybody confide anything super creepy or super? Yep. What do you you have? What's there? You're not going to believe this one. I probably will at this point. Someone told me he killed a man in New Orleans. Okay. God. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, that's pretty extreme. That's, that's really wild. extreme. Yeah. Well, th- you're not a licensed therapist, so you're not no. obligated to report that. Which No, and he was also blackout drunk at the time. Exactly. So Who what, knows the truth? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But, I, I mean, he just kind of kept going and going with this story. and then Tears? Um, no, but he did leave. He was, he was definitely shaken. Remembering the experience. Yeah. yeah, it was really scary. Sorry, I didn't mean for this podcast Jesus. to take no, a no, dark no. turn, this goes but that is the craziest thing that anyone has told me. Yeah, that's nuts. That's really fucking wild because there is a level, I find it's just so hard to maintain a firm grasp on humanity and that environment to begin with. It is. It really is. It's very easy to start, which is eventually why I left bartending, because it is very difficult to remain non-judgmental as a bartender. And um, I found that it made me very unnaturally cynical. And I don't like feeling that way. I don't like being that person. I found myself very judgmental of people and... Um, you know, really sort of, you know, putting the cart before the horse when it came to, or was it put the horse before the cart? No, you had it. Cart before the horse, yeah. There you go. So putting the cart before the horse in terms of knowing what a person is going to be like, how much they're going to tip, blah, 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 blah. And I don't like that feeling. I don't like being that person. Honestly, I hate it too. Yeah. And, and if I leave bartending, when, I'm not if, I'm going to leave it eventually, but when I do, it's either going to be because I no longer need it financially mm-hmm. and the acting career is taken off to a point where I can support myself fully or I just can't handle that either. Right. Because that that's not, especially artistically, and I've had conversations on this podcast with people that are similar to this, but it's just... Heavy on the heart. It is. And, it really is. And it, and it hardens it. Exactly. And I can't afford to have it hardened, exactly. nor would I want to, even if I could. Right. We are artists. It is part of our duty as people who serve others by entertaining 
to have an open heart. Yeah. And it is really, really difficult to maintain that honestly when you have to deal with some of these personalities to make a living. At the hours that you At have to deal hours, with them. It's, it's grueling. Just, I've seen some things that have shaken me. Mm-hmm. And I've also had some things come out of me in reaction to situations that have shaken Likewise. me. Likewise. And that's... Although informative, I think it's important to have experiences. I think we're both very big on, even though our experiences are so vastly different, on life experience and in general, just having several and many to draw from. When it becomes a, a comfortable norm, that's when it gets scary. Mm-hmm. Because that's not the norm I want. It's right. not the world I want to live in. Or when I, when I would walk into the bar and the, you know, the negative through line of, of judgment and this person and that person would just become automatic that that did frighten me. Yeah. I just, you know, couldn't look in the mirror and think, oh, it's, it's me. It's Danielle. It wasn't. It was definitely someone different who I wouldn't be friends with. Yeah. And, and that can happen, I think, a lot in large part to just staff being there for too long. Mm-hmm. And they form a bond and the bond just turns into a ball. It's like the fifth element, that ball of negativity. Yeah. That's coming and they, the more they shoot fucking rockets at it, the bigger it gets. you feed on it. Everyone like, feeds on it. It's growing. It's growing. It's like exactly how I feel about yeah. that stuff. And it's just important to restaff, to move on, to try a new place, to do something, to just clear the air if you have to stick around the business. Right. So we are at the hangover, right? Yes. That was the first, the first bar job. Okay. And... When we leave the hangover, what's next? Where do you, are you still in Philly at this point or do you come to New York? No, I was still in Philly. I actually, I stayed at the hangover for maybe only three or four months because I really couldn't take what was going on there. Um, It was just, it became a, a, like a gossip play, like a really gossipy place. I, I went away to shoot a short film in Chicago, which was my first acting experience and my first sort of you know, endeavor in the acting industry. And, and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great growth opportunity, but I came back and some of the regulars were so pissed off that I wasn't there for them <sighs> that they started to spread the rumor that I was in a porn. Wow. Which was just wild. I mean, and I, I have never been the type of person to, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm non-confrontational, but that's not the confrontation I want to have. That is just not worth my time. No. So I, I said, thanks and see ya. <laughs> good for you. How was the money? Um, the money was 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 good. I, I mean, remember that I was a fresh recent graduate, so I made about three hundred dollars a weekend, which for me was enough. Okay. As a so that's a kid th- living in Philadelphia, now it's chump change. You know that that I would be if I made that in one night, I'd be like, huh. yeah, only three hundred, which is again is another mentality that I like to get away from. To shake. No, I get yeah. that. It's just interesting to put that in perspective too, because it's it's amazing that you stopped when you did. Mm. Be, the why you did what you did and walked away from it. I think that's admirable. Thanks. It's just I think a lot of people, if the money was insane would have a hard time doing that. So when I bring money up, that's kind of where I'm going. That's what I'm thinking about this stuff. Right. But we have a lot more to dive into with you, and let's do that after this break. Okay.
Hey guys, when I'm not podcasting, uh, I'm an actor. I'm not sure if you knew that. And I had the privilege and joy of not only acting, but producing in an amazing award-winning feature film written and directed by Jonathan D'Ambrosio called The Frog March. This is an amazing story I'm really, really proud of about a group of friends that get together for a staged and unbeknownst to the person involved drug intervention in the middle of nowhere. And when that person finds out that the weekend is actually aimed towards an intervention for them, all hell breaks loose. As I've mentioned in this podcast before, I am in recovery. I've been sober a long time. I've seen a lot of addiction, a lot of heartbreak, and a lot of just truth of how this really manifests and unfolds in life. And I can honestly tell you that this is the most honest depiction of addiction that I've ever been privileged to see screened as an art form. So uh, it's a beautiful movie. It really is. You can check it out, uh, the trailer at thefrogmarch.com. We're going to have it uh, available to stream at some point in the near future. I'll keep you posted, but check out the trailer, get involved. Uh, We have a Facebook page. We have our website, thefrogmarch.com. And uh, please let me know in the comment section if you've checked it out and if you're interested. We'll we'll get some stuff together and uh, we'll have some screenings around New York in the near future before the release. So feel free to support. Thanks again. And go check out thefrogmarch.com. All right, and we're back with the international woman of mystery, Danielle Gould. And Danielle, do me a favor. Did I call you Daniel? I didn't hear that. I hope I did. That's fucking awesome. I mean, if you want to call yourself out... You can, but... You can just call me Mathena. I, I didn't we'll, hear we'll that. We'll have a weird gender swap for the rest of the Mafuna? episode. What? Mathena. Oh, Mathena. <laughs> no, Mafuna. If you want to turn me into an African female, we can do that. Ma, ma, yeah, let's just Matuna. get fucking multicultural with this. Okay, great. Wow, a lot's happened. Okay, um, if Harry's making weird faces or doing anything behind me or over there, let me know. I'm helping you out, calling court out when that happens. Sure. I can't see Harry. Yeah. So, all right. He did it. He just did it. Oh, motherfucker. (sighs) I knew he would. So, what else has gone on for you bar-wise in Philly? Or can we move to New York? No, 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 no. There's quite a few. (laughs) I have some some really fun stories left for Philadelphia. For Philly. All right, cool. (laughs) Dive in. Um, So, the hangover, like I said, it was just kind of too much. (laughs) It was... (laughs) It was kind of an intense experience uh, as far as the personalities that I had to endure at that particular scene. So then I moved on to this place on South Street in Philadelphia, which is like, you know, a big spot, um, to this place called uh, the Miami Cafe, that was called. South Street's actually one of the few areas in Philly I know, and it's kind of like Boston's Faneuil Hall a little oh, bit. okay. Where it just, it's fun. It's like, sure, it's a it's cool fun. strip. I like visiting there, but if I lived there, I'd probably avoid it. I, as a youngster, really liked it. Yeah. But yeah, I totally. also didn't really, Philadelphia was a lot different, you know, 12 years ago. So I didn't really explore much because to me there wasn't much to explore. It was, it was a very, it was a growing and changing city at that time. And so I think at, now it's a lot cooler. At that moment though, your clientele is pretty much peers, right? At that time we had, at, at Miami Cafe, we had a lot of people around my age. Okay. Right. 
consuming extremely sugary beverages. We had a, a long list of specialty mojitos and pina coladas, which were delicious. I mean, we really made a good pina colada, but the money was shit. It was awful. Was that kind of unique to Philly? Did you notice a huge spike in New York as far as money made? I did. Okay. I did, but I think that also came with, um, you know, age and my confidence as to this is what I deserve. This is the kind of money that I deserve. Yeah. Which I think you sort of grow into. Yeah. At least I did. So, yeah, Miami Cafe. Also, it was a failing business, and I didn't know this at the time. So what the owner had done was double the price of everything on the menu. Everything. And he still had people in paying for it? Just a few, though. Okay. Like a handful of people. But he thought to compensate for the lack of clientele, he would just double the price of everything on the menu. And then the few people who came in would be paying as much as more people, which is a terrible business plan. Awful, especially for Awful. regulars. Awful. Right, right. So I think, I mean, I only worked there for a few weeks because I really, I knew right away that this was just a sinking ship. <laughs> And I, I worked my ass off and went, came away with, at most, $120 Damn. for like a Friday night Damn. or a Saturday okay. night, which is just not enough. But nobody came in there. It was just ridiculously expensive. So what, what were you getting paid hourly? I wasn't. You weren't nothing? No. Okay. Because no. that is something that has taken shape over the past few years in New York. Right. Amazingly, is that minimum wage for tipped employees has gone to a place that's acceptable. Let's put it that way. Right? Good. So I'm glad. Seven, we're making seven fifty an hour. Good. And then over time, and that 13, actually shows up on your paycheck. And it's there, right? Good. Exactly. But yeah, a lot of these places, if you get anything, it's like two sixty three oh, yeah. an hour, or nothing. Mm-hmm. Maybe a twenty dollars shift pay. Some weird kind of snake oil, slippery right. little here's something for your troubles kind of nonsense. Ugh, when you put it that way. It's gross, right? Ew. I mean, fuck, you should be paying staff. Yeah, well, you know, that doesn't benefit the the t- their, the taxes on their end. No. So. Ugh, but they have another story other to tell. And it's another episode <laughs> because I have friends who are bar owners that I'm sure have oh, defense yeah. behind that. And, and sure. I'm not going to hold them to the fire without hearing their side of things. Good for you. Hey, I do what I can. I appreciate that. See, I'm not totally cynical yet. On a human yet. level. So, all right, a few weeks, Miami Vice, Miami Club, Miami what? Miami Cafe. Miami Cafe. That sounds right. You're out. And then I moved to a great job. I was a bartender at the Philadelphia International Airport at a place called Jet Rock. First in Terminal F, then in Terminal B. And Uh, that was really cool. It was. It was really cool. I enjoyed it so much. I worked with some wonderful, wonderful girls. The, The managers were really cool. And um, sure, there were issues. For example, we were a 50-beer tap room. Like, we had 50 beers on draft. Damn, okay. At least that's what we were supposed to have on draft. But the kegs were just constantly malfunctioning. We sometimes, when people came in and, you know, asked us for such and such on draft, we would give them a list of what we had rather than what what you like like what we had left what was actually functioning you gave them a list of what was functioning yeah that's insane to me to think about the real estate especially in the airport that it would take to just have a cooler for 50 different types of beer yeah it was really it was crazy that's wild and it was expensive too i mean anything in the airport is notoriously expensive but we definitely had people who were just so pissed 
because their $12 beer was mostly foam because that's all the keg was allowing us. And I, I would imagine. And I would be pissed too. Yeah, I would be furious. I that, don't blame them. What? That's an interesting take, airport bartending. Do you don't really get regulars there, huh? You'd be surprised I would because be. a lot of people do fly for business. Okay. So we did see some repeat faces. I also um, I waited on some celebrities. Charles Barkley was in once. Chuck. Super sweet guy. Chuck. Incredibly sweet. Oh, that's I know. Awesome. I know he was in a little bit of trouble with the law and some hookers and stuff. But you know. Whatever. As Chuck a person and, behind know. the bar, he was just adorable. Very, very, you know, he acknowledges that he's a celebrity, but not in a cocky way. More in a way like, hey, can I buy everyone around? Yeah, I hope the owners Which of is great. the two-door tavern aren't listening right now because I put the audio for Inside the NBA on when they leave because Kenny, Chuck, Shaq, and EJ are kind of the funniest <laughs> quad of people i've heard they're pretty <laughs> oh my hysterical God, they're so great i've heard shaq is extremely funny tnt they're just a great foursome uh, of personalities charles barkley was delightful he was that's darling. awesome if we get off on the nba the rest of the podcast will be committed to well, that i don't know anything about the yeah, nba so you'd be move, talking to yourself shock anybody else yeah yeah one of the cast members of twilight his name was jackson rathbone I got nothing. I had no idea who he was while I was waiting on him, which was good because, mm-hmm. you know, I was just, you know, cool and casual as as I tend to be. But um, he, the rest of my uh, coworkers were freaking out because they loved Twilight and that was the big movie at that time. Yeah. And um, he and I actually became sort of friends. He was in Philadelphia shooting The Last Airbender at the time and we hung out a couple of times and he was actually the one who was part of my inspiration for really getting serious about uh, a career in the entertainment industry and eventually moving to New York. That's awesome. Yeah. Not like he gave me any sage advice or anything, but I did but recognize he was he was my age and he was making a great living doing what he loved. And I thought, if this guy can do it, I mean, look, he was a really, really good guy, but um, you know, he wasn't amazing. Yeah. I hope, just, I hope uh, I can say that. You can say whatever you want. Um, Shit, yeah, like yourself. I don't want to insult him, but uh, yeah, I I just but no thought... no no. You quantify that though, like so he's not fucking Brando, right? But right. He's, but he's a good actor. He's good. Yeah. Like, he's a solid actor. That's all you're saying. You're not he's being a solid a dick. actor. Yeah, 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 I don't mean no, to be a dick that. at all, or or you know, de um devalue his his career. But yeah, he's a, he's a solid actor doing good work. I thought there's no reason why I can't do this as well. But that's a huge moment. I think huge. that's a real paradigm shift for me. I know that I've still struggled with into my early 30s, and I think I finally have a command of, is that idea that I am eligible for this life. Absolutely. You are worthy. It's, it's, worthiness is one thing, and I do struggle with that, but I just, it was a different world for me growing up, and one I was so obsessed with but never really thought I could be a part of growing up in a small mm. town and your town is much smaller than mine, and not coming from anything, and not knowing anyone or having connections to, or it just, it seemed like a dream planet, not place or world, but like a different planet. Right. And accepting that it it's seems like, wow. So, it seems unaccessible. Completely. Very much. But not even to the point like, oh, shucks, I can't have that, but to the point that it's not even worth the thought. I never even considered that maybe I could. Correct. And you're hitting the nail on the head. Once I met him... And, you know, really saw what he was about and, you know, he was a very, very nice person and was very open to, you know, talking to me about his career and his, you know, what he did with his life up to that point. I thought, I really can do this. 
there there is there is not a closed this isn't a closed community yeah i can i can totally take a crack at this and where i'm at right now as an actor it really helps to hear that stuff because i'm not in a place that i'm recognizable in any way i i book small parts on big things and big parts and small things right now and i'm really mm -hmm. proud of that as you should be but it's so interesting and wonderful to hear that this person who has a successful career for themselves, even if I'm not aware of their work, had such an effect on you. Yeah. And that's something I really try and do is just no matter what I'm doing, try and positively affect the people around me that are pursuing things that they might not necessarily themselves think they are able to do. Amen to that. Right? Absolutely. Pretty cool. It's part of my life's trajectory now as well. Give me his name again. I want to make sure I have it. Jackson Rathbone. Right on, Jackson. Hi, well Jackson, done. if you're listening. Well done. <laughs> this makes it to you. Thank you. You got Danielle somewhere very, very cool, and she keeps on rising. That's awesome. Thank you. So airport, do we fly to New York yet? I'm, I'm anxious. I want to hear about you in New York behind all the bar. All right. All right. So um, meeting Jackson was really a, a turning point because that's when I started thinking I can, I can, I had never thought that moving to New York to pursue this thing was really a realistic goal. It just seemed so far away mm -hmm. and, um, you know, really uncharted territory. Even the Marines seemed a lot less scary because at least I had access to people who were working in the Marine Corps and, you know, other things in my life. There are connections that you that you develop that make big steps easier, and less formidable. And this was not one of those things. Mm. I knew nobody. I knew one girl in New York with whom I was an, an NFL cheerleader, Madeline, who I slept on her couch for three months while I was in the process of moving here. God bless her. She's amazing. An amazing woman for putting up with me for that amount of time in her studio apartment. <laughs> that is a big deal. People it's a very big deal. Don't realize how amazing that oh, is. Oh, a very, very big deal. Um, but yeah, that was really, you know, I met Jackson and I started Googling. I literally Googled, where do I find auditions? That's what I Googled. That exact no, no acting experience at this point? No. I, I did a couple of uh, plays in high school, but I had no formal training. Okay. I had my dance background, but I didn't know how to tell a story with my voice. So, um, yeah, I, I found a website. I don't know if I want to say the name because we kind of had no a pressure. falling out. No pressure. So I, I linked up with this company who had uh, an event in New York, and it was a networking event. So I went and I brought my headshot. I paid a ton of money for it. I eventually, I went to work for this company, and they were just charging people an extraordinary amount of money for basically nothing. Like, they were, there were some good people at those events, but it was mostly, like, just you know, people that you should not really have to pay to meet. Sure. Like that. Or people who had, had had a career in the past, weren't currently doing anything, but were considered industry experts because of what they'd done in the past, which, you know, maybe they passed on some good advice to some people, but by and large, it was a really, a mixed bag skewing to the not worth your time. Okay. <laughs> End of the scale. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, they got me to New York for the first time. I did meet a few interesting people and basically what I took away was, all right, I've got to move here. If I'm really, really serious about this, I've got to move here. That was July 25th, 2009. Okay. All right. Wow. And by October 27th, 2009, I was here. 
That's so funny that that seems. I had to do the math in my head. Like, what year is it now? It seems eight years like ago. It, no, it seems crazy. Like it, was two years ago it does. At it's, most. It feels like it was. It, it just feels. I can't believe it's been this amount of time. It's wild. So much has changed. Yeah. So much has oh changed. Oh my god! In the ten years I've been here, it's not so yeah. much has changed, especially in the neighborhood that I bartended in because I started there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's wild. So, you're off the couch. You got a spot. Off the couch. Got a spot. Yeah. And I, I had a, a job serving food at this little place called One Little West 12th Street. I got the job I way before I got okay. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not, I, I think it's Bagatelle now. Um, but yeah, I started there and uh, I, I got the job there before I got an apartment. So literally the day, I'd been working at this job for maybe three months, two and a half, three months. The day that I was set to move to New York, I got an email from One Little West 12th Street saying that they were going to be laying people off for the season, for the winter season. Was this a warning to everyone or just something that was kind of like, you're cut, sorry? It was. Yeah. It was sort of it like a like... you're cut, sorry thing. And they still said that we're, they were going to give me as many party shifts as they could, but I wouldn't have a position on the floor. Okay. Which was... So scary. Yeah. So scary because I was T minus 12 hours away from moving my entire life to New York City. And I was informed that I didn't have a steady job. It That's was, how I came here too. I get uh, it. I totally get it. But it's, you know, you just kind of got to do it. You make it work. And my, my whole thought process about moving to New York was that I can deal with quote unquote failing, which really isn't a term that I believe in anymore. I can deal with failing, but I can't deal with not trying. Yeah. Yeah, and I think failure is great, and it is a thing for me, but it's a thing that is redefined, and it's now used to grow and to brush yourself off and kind of st- get stronger and and really push through rather than dirt kicking, and I'm a right. failure, and poor me. Right, right, because every single experience you can you can glean a wonderful positive from. I would be a curmudgeon, a miserable curmudgeon if I've been in New York for 10 years doing what I've done if I didn't have that redefinition of failure in my head. Correct. I would just be way too cynical and I I wouldn't have anything left in the tank. So again, even that, even ideology-wise, the city is such a sink or swim. You either grow or you die. I think you either grow or you leave. Yeah, 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 (laughs) exactly. I think so too. I've seen a lot of people come and go. And it's a point of pride to stick around, isn't it? It is. It is. Once you make it past that, you know, two-year mark, all right. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Growing into it and feel pretty good. You get a little badge. Start, starting, starting to know my way around the subway without looking, <laughs> without checking a map or asking people. Accidentally end up on 125th because you got on Express and you're trying to go to 68th. I mean, I've, I may have done that recently. Today, <laughs> it might have happened. Yeah. <laughs> um, but hey, now now I can laugh about it. So so you mentioned serving. Yeah. Um, what do you see as really the differences between serving and bartending? Well. If you've had experience in both. There's, there's a lot, right? There's a huge difference. I think serving is a lot more vulnerable and hands-on. Bartending, I always felt like, at least behind a bar, I felt like I've got some protection. Okay, interesting. Like I felt, I always felt that being behind a bar was a power position. Yeah, People yeah. come to you instead of you coming to them. But I've never seen, I've never thought of the actual bar itself providing a level of security between you and the customer that I think really that heightens comes, the safety. I think that comes from security. being a woman. Yeah, maybe. 
Yeah, because I spent some time take. after after One Little West 12th Street, I started cocktailing at the Dream Hotel Uptown. Okay. Which was uh, an interesting experience. Man, some of the some of the managers who worked there, one of them, one of the managers who worked there, his name is Frank. He moved to, I think, Las Vegas with his family. Amazing guy. One of the greatest, greatest people. Amazing human being. Wonderful manager. But man, the other couple of guys, awful. Mm. Awful. Just pricks and really sort of I, I think even angry at women the way I was spoken to as an employee and I wasn't quite old enough yet or, or in my skin enough to really react the way I would now yeah but um it was there were a lots there were a lot of elements to that job that were not enjoyable experiences so your cocktail trip that is tough and that's tough with clientele isn't it yeah it was tough because of the you know the the inch the several inch heels that we were required to wear it was tough because of the tiny little dress we were required to wear it was tough because in a very very crowded room there was a guy who slapped my ass once and and it was awful i mean there were a lot of elements to that job that were just like i can't believe i'm dealing with this yeah so then when i made the move back to bartending that's why i thought of it as all right you're secure behind the Now bar. I'm protected. That makes so much sense. Yeah. I can't believe that's never occurred to me. But There's that's a wall really... between me and and whomever else is out there. I think part of why I've never gone there is because just mentally, we're a restaurant, right? So people, there's not, uh, I'm sure shit happens and I've had to deal with a few things to, on the waitress's behalf, but it's cocktail waitressing is a completely different animal. It is completely different. Yeah. You're dealing with people that have a ton of money, a ton of entitlement that think uh -huh. they think goes along with the money. They're under the impression that their money's buying them things. It's not buying them. Oh yeah. That's exactly right. You said that very eloquently. Yeah. That's, uh, it just, I love this podcast, but it <laughs> fucking kills me to talk about some of this shit and acknowledge the reality of it. It is real. So where'd you bartend? Where when you get back behind the bar? Where yeah, are you? Yeah, I started bartending at this great place in Brooklyn called Woodwork, which ah, is a soccer bar. Yes. Yeah, I right know. down right Woodwork. down the street from our it's mutual friends. All coming back. Yes. Okay. Yes. That's... With Kevin. Yep. Yep. Kevin yep. was the one who got me that job, and it it really was fun while it lasted. That was a cool bar to work at. They had great food. I could wear whatever I want. I didn't have to wear that stupid little tiny dress anymore. Mm -hmm. I could wear jeans and sneakers and a t-shirt and it was a sports bar. It was casual. It was all beer. And I really developed some phenomenal speed skills there. I remember once I had an 80-person bar. It was just by myself. And everybody was served and happy and it was awesome. Yeah, that's great. It was I great. love that, that shit. Was, that was a great feeling to, to look around and see everybody happy and enjoying the soccer game and know... I helped. I helped make everybody's morning because European games and games overseas show in the morning. Mm -hmm. So it was like a 6 a.m. shift. Yeah. <laughs> but everyone's, everyone's happy. Excuse me. Everyone was happy. That's awesome. And the clientele was fun. For the most part, a lot of fun. Personable, interesting. And I think that's the difference between big money Manhattan and... Now we're in Brooklyn. But Brooklyn's changed too. It I mean, has you changed. You were there. That was a while ago. You were at Woodwork before that neighborhood was cool. Mm -hmm. It was just a bunch of people that kind of got pushed out or was, were just coming into the city that didn't have trust funds or a lot of money. And they were just kind of, I guess, as regular and blue collar as people in Brooklyn can be without being from Brooklyn themselves. That's a beautiful assessment. Yes. Yeah. There were people who were young and trying. Young yeah. professionals. So I felt that we also had that through line in common, which I did not 
I did not get that vibe when I was working in Manhattan ever. In no. Manhattan, it was, it was big money entitlement, very, very showy, very flashy, very look at me, look at what I have. And when I was working in Brooklyn, people were very honest about what they had and didn't have. And they were honest with me. We had wonderful conversations about life and philosophy over a beer or two, and then they would leave. And, yeah. and it was nice. It was really fun. It is. It is when you get those moments. Mm-hmm. You have those people, and it's, it's interesting. I, I don't know why I'm saying this, but I do. I just don't want, know why I'm admitting it. I often say just in the dating world, kind of, I'm not that great a guy. The guys <laughs> in New York just suck so much. They all make me look so much better than I actually am. That's, that's interesting. I just feel like <laughs> it's the same with bar patrons. Like I've gravitated towards these people that may not be the most amazing people in the world but they are to me. Yeah. And in large part, it's because everybody else is so shitty and it's just, there's this human being that's connecting with me. Authenticity. Compared yes. to those other folks. I mean, genuine authenticity matters. And perhaps, perhaps the, you know, the big money people in Manhattan were being authentic. I don't think so. I think that underneath all of the flash and the money and, you know, throwing around bottles was a very, probably a hurt person. This is my, you know, inner psychologist coming out. Yeah. Probably a hurt person who felt like they had to compensate, overcompensate for, you know, with things because they were lacking something on the inside. And when I was working in Brooklyn, I felt like I could actually connect to a human being who was being honest about their experience. And to me, that made a huge difference. Maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe they weren't you know, the greatest people on the face of the planet. But just that small shift at that time meant the world to me. Yeah. And, and I don't need the greatest people. I need real people. Exactly. That's I need, I need people who understand how to say please and thank you. Yeah. I need the people who, right, just show a little respect and kindness. We'll all have a much better day. Yeah. It's, I think New York is a lot of the picture you just painted and the people you just described bumping into each other and running around. And the sea of exceptions that, exist because it's a numbers game and mm-hmm. because there are so many people there are a lot of exceptions to those rules too yes those people just shine like fucking diamonds yes you see them and it's just you don't even need to talk to them to be like there is a person that's somebody on the subway i would like to go and introduce myself exactly to. or you're just grateful that they are there in their energy yeah completely even if it's just a silent acknowledgement mm-hmm. i think that's great you know what i'm kind of glad that i brought that strange example of me in the dating world in because I'm super curious throughout all of this relationship wise are you involved do you have if you're not do you have openings where you're connecting with people because I know it's really tough to pick up the hot bartender as a customer oh you mean like was I ever asked out well of course you were (laughs) asked out no I don't mean were you ever asked out I mean did you go out with people were you ever kind of like wow I don't normally do this but this is a guy I think I want to there was one guy, yeah. One? One. In all of their time, there was one guy. In all of that time, there was one. See, it is hard to pick up <laughs> there hot was bartender. just one. Okay. Yeah. How was it? Um, It kind of went down in a blaze, but we were friends for a good couple of years. Before you went out? No, 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 no. Or due to going out? We went out and, and we had a great connection. We really, really liked each other. I really, really liked him. Mm-hmm. And um, he moved away to L.A. for a little while. I obviously stayed here. I, I really, really cared for him. Mm-hmm. And I think he, he cared for me, too. I mean, he acknowledged he cared for me. He just, there was one night when he, he had moved back from L.A. 
and we had a, a wonderful dinner and all, by all accounts had a perfect date. We had an amazing, he, he's a real foodie, so we had this amazing food and I was really sort of interacting with food in a brand new way. And um, we were talking about life and poetry and philosophy and all these great things. And I, I looked him dead in the eye and I said, you're coming home with me. Nice. And he said, okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> really? I'm surprised he got that out. So he came home with me. And at the time, I was doing a 30-day poetry challenge. And it was important to me to fulfill this challenge because every single day I was writing a new piece of poetry and posting it to this website. So we got home. We got to my place. And I said... I, can I just have like 20 minutes to finish this post? All right. And just from a male perspective, I'm going to stop you right there. All right. And just let you know I'm this guy. I'm not, by the way, but I'm just saying I'm going to pre- presuppose I'm this person. This is already too, too good to be true. It's just kind of like this is too well, easy. I'm glad you feel There's that no way. There's no way. This is way too, <laughs> like something is bound to go. I can't wait for the other shoe to drop. Oh. Right? That's what you this mean. This is crazy. Okay, I misinterpreted I don't, what you meant. No, this is just like, it's not going to happen. Nothing's going to go down. The moment you say, can I just have 20 minutes to finish this poetry piece in my head, I'm like, yep, yeah, this is exactly it. Like something strange is going to happen. I'm just... Something strange is going to happen. Oh my God. I would like to say... This is so awesome. It wasn't me. Keep going. So I asked him permission. I didn't even say, <laughs> hey, I'm going to do this. <laughs> I, I said, hey, is, so is it okay... If I take 20 minutes to finish this. He said yes. Okay. Sat down with my computer, started typing. He's sitting next to me. And I, you know, I was showing him what I was doing. I was asking him, oh, do you think this word is better than that word? I was basically silent, you know, for those 20 minutes. But it's 20 minutes. We've been friends for years. He's here with me on my couch. You know, I'm doing this thing. Uh, to me, who cares? Mm-hmm. You know, it's something that's important to me. And if the shoe is on the other foot... If we were over at his place and he said, hey, I just want to fulfill this, this one thing that's important to me, I would say, yeah, absolutely. I can occupy myself. I'm secure enough. Sure. It's not a big deal. I was literally at the 20-minute mark. I kept my promise. It was 20 minutes, no more. I was pressing enter to post this thing. And this guy gets off from my couch in a huff and said, you know what? You lost me. Wow. I am absolutely, you are so rude and you are such, this is such a different experience. I am leaving. And I looked at him. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I think he wanted me to apologize. But instead I said, get the fuck out of my house. Yeah. No one is going to talk to me like that. You've got to be kidding. Kidding. I mean, my mind was blown. I have, I had known this guy for, for three years at that point, almost. Well, I, yeah, I'm definitely... I never saw that coming. <sighs> I never saw that coming. And what eventually happened, I, I, I opened the door, told him to walk through it, and that's when he started saying, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm sorry. Can we just talk about this? Can we just talk? He Can we just talk? He didn't get what he wanted, no. I don't know what he wanted me to do. I don't know what kind of weird mind game this was. He hung in there for 19 minutes and 59 seconds. He chose, Why not do that at second one? You know what, though? If you're going to be a, a weirdo really, about it. I'm really glad that it happened because it showed me a color and a side of him that I never expected. And at that point, I was considering getting into a relationship with this person. There's no way. If I, if I were home, if I brought him home with me for Christmas, my family is huge and a little bit chaotic. If I can't leave that person to their own devices for even 20 minutes, I cannot imagine how, you know, the stressors of a person's family and having to be independent in your own skin in a person's family would fare out. An it just actor? Was he an actor? Yeah, he was an oh, actor. He was a fucking actor. 
but yeah, that was a, that was, <laughs> it was really surprising. It was very wow. surprising. Crazy town. Well, damn, we've covered quite the spectrum. And I'm so stoked that you actually uh, found time to come in. Are we done? Can yes, I not tell you about my last it. bartending experience? You got one more bartending Oh my experience? gosh, yes. I don't see how we could resist. Okay, great. So I was bartending at, bartending at this sports bar in Queens called Raven's Head Public House. Wonderful manager, wonderful co-workers, all from Ireland. They were fantastic. I'll just tell you the craziest story that I have. And also one of the reasons why I left. <laughs> is this your last, is this your sayonara to bartending at this point? It was one of my sayonara. Okay. Yeah, it was, it was the sayonara, yeah. Um, so this guy, you know how annoying it is when someone tries to eat your fruit garnishes? Oh, God. You know, they just, violation. they reach their dirty hands yeah. into your fruit. Into like, your space. Into your space. So this guy, I warned him. This guy was like six foot three. I'm not. I'm five foot three. So there was a big height difference there. He was a big, massive dude. And um, so... He kept putting his hands in my garnishes when I turned my back. I warned him twice. The last time, I turned around and I slapped his hand down. And I, like, was waving my finger in his face saying, I told you, no, no, don't do that. Don't ever do that again. Get the fuck out of the bar. And I think that was probably one of my wildest experiences bartending. Yeah. And my boss, my manager came running up from downstairs. He saw it on the closed circuit, the security camera that they had and said, oh my God, what happened? Did you just slap that guy? And I said, yeah, I did. And I kind of thought he was going to fire me. He gave me a hug. Oh, wow. That's awesome. (laughs) He gave me a hug and said, good for you. I'm so glad that you stuck up for yourself and stuck up for the situation. He was a wonderful manager. Unfortunately, the hours were just too much for me. Yeah. Um, you know, acting was my top priority and leaving the bar and getting to bed at 6 a.m. For, for a 10 a.m. audition was just not setting me up for success. Yeah. So um, he did fire me in the most loving and wonderful way. For that? He Not for that, oh, but okay. a, a, just a few months later, you know, okay. life was just getting, I was canceling too much. Gotcha. I always prioritized my acting career sure. over my jobs. I've never missed a single audition and I never will. I hear you. But that's hard for some bar managers to understand. Yeah. And I understand, you know, it's not their dream. For no. their, They want their bartender to be a bartender. He acknowledged that this was not my dream. He needed a bartender who was a bartender, and I'm an actor. Yeah, you are. So, so he hugged me. We took a shot of Jameson. He bid me adieu. And, and that was my last, my last experience. You're bartending. out. And now you're a full-fledged actor, and I, I'm so psyched you came in. Do you have anything you want to plug before we wrap this up? Well, I did have a wonderful horror film that was on Netflix for two years called Almost Mercy. Cool. You can still get that on Amazon and a bunch of other places. Do it. Um, yeah. And uh, there's just a, there's a lot happening. There's another project that I have in development right now that I'm really proud of. And I am very happy with my current trajectory and Guys, quality of my life. Guys, check out her social media, her IMDb. She spelled her name for you, Danielle Goulden. G-U-L-D-I-N. Not Daniel. All the fucking weight I put on Goulden, I called you Daniel. That's <laughs> hilarious. Uh, another successful Tales from the Bar Side. I'm Matt Flynn. Danielle, thank you again. Thanks, Matt. It's been wonderful. Take care, guys. Be good. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Real Tales from the Bar Side. Be sure to tip your bartenders and tip us by subscribing, liking, leaving us a review. That stuff helps like hell, and we really appreciate it. So thank you again. Hope you enjoyed yourself, and we'll catch you next week.